0: In just two days, the polls open and we go and vote. We vote not just for president, but a variety of other offices as well as propositions. Maintaining a biblical perspective on the political election. That's coming up next on today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. The Ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. A biblical perspective on the political election. That's what we're looking at today, maintaining that biblical perspective out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. If you've ever cared to know what God's Word has to say on the subject, then we would invite you to join us. Again, if you've got a Bible handy, good one to go to today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 through 20. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with a very hot topic on this Lord's Day edition of Graceful Truth. Pastor Steve Converse. Steve?
1: I want you to turn over in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, you know one of the responsibilities of a pastor is to bring the Word of God to bear upon the church, upon the world, and to give God a voice uh, to clarify and even sometimes to discern issues that we face and i don't know about you but leading up to this election uh, my email box has been just pumped full of email promoting this proposition that proposition this candidate that candidate you turn on every news channel and all you hear is political stuff going on and at times it can become overwhelming to the point where some christians are so concerned they think you know boy if their candidate doesn't win on tuesday What's going to happen? Well, I'm here to tell you that there'll still be hope after Tuesday if your candidate doesn't win. But to kind of set up foundation, I should say, for our message this morning, I just want us to read... I'm going to read for you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17 to 20. I want you to follow along in your Bibles. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And just a comment here. Uh, it says very clearly there that old things pass away and new things come when a person is a new creature in Christ. That's what makes the difference in in people's lives, that transformation that takes place. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray that you would bless it to our hearts, help us to understand uh, the issues that are before us today in our society as we look at that in light of your word. And Father, we just ask your blessing upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. We see very clearly here in this text, it's probably one of the best Christian proof texts to show what the Christian mandate should be. Without any argument at all, Paul just kind of lays it out there. God has sought here to reconcile sinners to himself through Jesus Christ, his son, and in that reconciliation to produce a new a new creature in which everything is new. And that uh, reality of that reconciliation to God has been given to us as the church. It's called the ministry of reconciliation or the word or message of reconciliation. So you can conclude that we are then ambassadors for Christ and for no other. And that really God is begging through us sinners to be reconciled to God through Christ. The very one that he made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what the word says to our hearts this morning. And without any lack of clarity, without any argument, therein lies the mandate for the Christian in today's world. It's the ministry of reconciliation to God through Christ, which brings about righteousness, which brings about transformation, which brings about a new creation, However, today, I'm here to tell you this morning, and it's been around for some time, Christianity, through its evangelical element, really has an emphasis on another kind of mandate, a different kind of emphasis, you might say, a different kind of effort. And that effort is to produce morality, more specifically, cultural morality. And we've seen this addressed throughout the years, but it's it's no stronger than it is is today in in that there's, there's this call going out to Christians to get involved, to calling our nation to a higher level of morality. And we engage with it with all our energy, with all our resources, with all our time, with all our money. We engage in it politically, through the media, through pressure groups, and all that's done to try to change the moral character of our country. And for, for many Christians, we have to understand that that's not what we're called to. Our mandate is not about some kind of cultural morality. The mandate is about salvation. And the last time I checked, the government plays no role in salvation. We should be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. It's the word of reconciliation that we preach. It's not morality that we preach. It's reconciliation with God through Christ, through his message of the gospel. And we should all express a concern, obviously, about the the debauched morality that we see around us in our culture. It doesn't please God. It doesn't please believers. It shouldn't please you, and I'm sure it doesn't please me. We should desire virtue. We should desire character. We should desire integrity, honesty, and morality. All those things do express God's will and a reflection of God's law. And at every opportunity, we should go to the ballot box and do our civic duty and support, as Christians, biblical morality. What Christian could do less? It's our responsibility to address sin, to confront sin, to call it what it is, to expose it, to attack it. That's what we're called to do as believers. But that's not the issue here this morning. It's not about whether we're against immorality. Of course, we're against immorality. It's all about what do you view as the solution to the problem? We would all desire a lasting virtue to characterize people. Of course, we would desire righteousness over unrighteousness. But that's not the issue. The issue is this simply, how do we get there? For many in the Christian profession today, they really honestly believe that it's through politics, it's through media, it's through lobbying and public intimidation, through all these means. And so we have Christians pouring millions of dollars into elections, media events, political pressure groups, in an effort to superficially sanitize America. But the question has to be asked, is that the solution? Is that going to work? Is that our mandate as believers? There are people that think that if America somehow becomes moral, God will bless America, and there are people who think that if God, if America becomes moral and religious, even if it's just superficially, well, then God will doubly bless America. So the effort by that element of the the, the Christian faith is what we have to put. God back in the public discourse. We have to put public prayer back in our schools. We have to hang the Ten Commandments everywhere on public places, in courtrooms. Let's stop abortions. Let's stop rampant homosexuality. Let's stop pornography. And if we can just bring about some kind of morality, and better yet, some kind of commitment to God, then our nation will be blessed. Well, let's set this straight right from the very beginning here. Morality and religion will not invite or secure the blessing of God. Morality and religion will not invite nor secure the blessing of God. They never have and they never will. A more moral America, a more moral and religious America does not advance in divine favor one inch. A more moral and a more religious America will not escape divine judgment any more than the Pharisaical Judaism in Jesus' time escaped the devastating judgment of God in 70 A.D. When hundreds of thousands of Jews were slaughtered by godless Romans. And Jesus warned about that event on several occasions. Let's make it real simple. There's only one thing that God will bless, beloved. Only one thing. He blesses saving faith and love for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That thing and that thing only does he bless. Anybody who does not believe in and love the Lord Jesus Christ is among the cursed. That's what the Bible says. Now as Christians, of course, we're for morality. And we can do some kind of superficial good, maybe through the political means. Because we live in a republic and a democracy, we can make some efforts at that by doing our civic duty and going to the ballot box, and I'm all for that. Go and vote your conscience before God. But that does not advance us in divine favor, either individually or collectively. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 16.22, Paul wrote this, If any man doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. What does that mean, you ask? Let him be cursed. Let him be judged, damned, condemned. There's only one thing God will bless, and that's faith in and love for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that kind of sets the foundation. That kind of sets the picture for you of where we're going this morning. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong picture. I'm not against those people who hate evil and wickedness. I hate evil and wickedness, too. It's not about that. It's about the solution. You remember, Paul wrote Timothy, a young pastor, in 1 Timothy four eight, and he, he wrote this to him. He says, For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds the promise of eternal life, not just this life, but the life to come. Now, some of us who don't like to exercise like that verse. We like the first part of that verse, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. But we have to stop and we have to ask ourselves, am I going to spend all of my time working with people, To get them to some kind of bodily discipline that will kind of restrain themselves from doing what their fallen nature finds very naturally to do. Am I going to be concerned about the superficial behavior of people? Or am I going to give myself to that godliness which is profitable, the Bible says, for all things? See, that's the true godliness of the soul, which is connected to what? It's connected to eternal life. It's a question of what is our mandate? Where should our energy go? But it's more than that. Because if you're like me, you get swept and you get caught up in all this political stuff. And you're watching the news and you're reading emails and you're shooting emails and you're just sucked in by all that. And when you get swept away by all this, it becomes the kind of this consuming enterprise of your life. In the name of quote-unquote Christianity, when, if we were to honestly look at it, we're seriously Off target. Many professing Christians today are consumed with the public morality issue. We've all heard it called the religious right. Well, what the religious right did, and I'm not questioning their motive, I'm sure they mean well, but what they did is they replaced the saving gospel with a social gospel. And so we have this social gospel that can't save anyone, and that's what's replaced the saving gospel. Morality damns just like immorality. Do you understand that? Morality does not bring about divine blessing. Jesus went head to head as we've seen in in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7, uh, 5, 6, and 7 with the Pharisees, the most religiously superficial morally people in his world, the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus preached his most scathing, most searing, most severe sermon on the religious rite of his day. And in Matthew 23, Jesus' is address, he addresses the religious leaders of the time, the moral people. And he says in verse 13 of Matthew 23, he says, Woe, which means damn or judgment, curse you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 14, he repeats it. Verse 15, he repeats it. Verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides. Verse 17, he calls them, you fools and blind men. Verse 19, he calls them, you blind men. In verse 23, again, he says, Woe to you again, scribes and Pharisees. Verse 24, he says, you blind guides. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 26, he calls them blind Pharisees. In verse 27, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And he just keeps on going on and on like that. And at the end of the chapter, he says in verse 37 of Matthew 23, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets. You stone those that are sent to you. And then he says in verse 38, your house is being left To you, desolate. See, Jesus was looking forward to the judgment of seventy A.D. when the Roman Empire Empire would destroy Jerusalem. And as I read those words, I thought, "This is interesting because I don't remember Jesus ever, ever using those kinds of titles, using those kinds of words to describe the people that he reached out to, who were the outcasts, who were the prostitutes, who were the criminals." In fact, Jesus spent most of his time with those people, the outcasts of his day, the tax collectors. And they said that Jesus was a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That was the label they put on Jesus. And the people that put that on Jesus was the religious right of Jesus' day. See, moralism was never the Old Testament message of the prophets. It was never the message of the Messiah. It's never been the message of the New Testament apostles or prophets. It's never been God's message to a world because when it's all said and done, beloved, Isaiah says this, all your righteousness is as what? That's right, filthy rag. Romans chapter 3, a very important chapter in the Bible because it describes the condition of human wickedness. And in chapter 3, verse 10, it says, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none that understands. There's none who seeks after God. So whatever imaginary righteousness men have, whatever superficial morality that they may be able to turn on, in the end, they're not righteous before God. It gains absolutely nothing. Verse 12 says in Romans 3, there's no one good enough, not even one. verse 19 says, everybody under the law, everybody who lives according to the law to some degree or another will find that their mouths are closed. They will have no defense and the whole world is accountable and guilty before God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So you can become moral, you can change, you can turn over a new leaf and go ahead and do that. Live a better life, clean your life up, clean your act up as they say. But that has no bearing whatsoever on your relationship to God. The biblical message is not that humanity is divided between the moral and the immoral. That's not the biblical message. Or that somehow humanity is divided between the virtuous and the wicked. That's not the biblical message. The message of the Bible is clearly, as we see in Romans, all have sinned. And all have come short of the glory of God. That there is no division. They're all immoral, they're all bad, they're all wicked. It's only a question of degree, or kind, or how it manifests itself in somebody's life. Whenever somebody's external degree of morality, whatever it might be, all are condemned sinners headed to hell. You might be the most moral Pharisee in Israel. You might be the most moral rabbi. You might be the most moral cleric. You can take it from there, the most moral, self-righteous, clean-living Mormon. And you know what? You're going to hell with the prostitutes and drug addicts and and such. See, unless you've been reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ, and then if you've been reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ, you become a new creature, new creation. Old behaviors are replaced with new ones, the Bible says. So if we want to change, we hear about that a lot, especially in this campaign, change, change, change. What does it mean? Well, beloved morality saves no one. Morality does not command the blessing of God. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says this, for there is no partiality with God. On the surface, you look at that and you say, well, that sounds pretty good. Sounds kind of fair. God's not going to take sides. But listen what he says. But all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Do you understand what he's saying here? He says, whatever might be your relationship to the law of God, it doesn't matter to God. And the reason it doesn't matter is because you can't keep the law to his satisfaction anyway. That's what we're told in Galatians 3. If you break the law in one point, you've broken the whole law. Romans 10, Paul said that the Jews, not understanding the righteousness of God, go about to establish their own righteousness. And we've seen that throughout Matthew. The law of God tells them to do one thing. They go off and say, well, we'll change it and we'll do this. And so Jesus had to come back and say, hey, you've heard it. Well, let me tell you how it really is. So you might get... The idea that trying to moralize the country is some sort of noble effort. And you know, when you honestly look at it, a more moral society would make life easier in a lot of ways. But how do you get there? How do you bring that about? That's the question I want to ask this morning. And to be real honest with you, it's not going to be through politics. The last time I I checked the word of God, Jesus did not call us a kingdom of politicians. What did he call us? He called us a kingdom of what? of priests. Do you know what a priest is? A priest is a reconciler. A priest is someone who brings people to God through Christ. Now, there's some, there's some dangers here about this cultural morality, and I'm going to give you a list of several of them this morning. So like I said, this is kind of a different kind of a message for us here, but I think it's a very relevant one, and it's a needed one. So let, let me give you some of these dangers that I see as far as pursuing this cultural morality question. First of all, cultural morality is not our commission. We've seen that. It's not our mandate. Second Corinthians 5, it tells us. The Great Commission says that we should go into all the world and what? Make them moral? No, it says preach the gospel. It's not our commission. So right at the outset, we're doing something that we have not been mandated by God to do, and then we expect his blessing upon it. It's almost like the enemy threw it out there as a diversionary activity. If I can get them to think somehow, if they can just make everybody moral, then they'll be over there trying to make everybody moral, trying to pass laws that they think will bring about God's favor. The enemy knows that's not going to work. As long as they're not out there preaching the gospel, what God actually told them to do, I'm okay with it. I'll get them off track. It's very easy. So it's not our commission. It's not our mandate. Secondly, it wastes immense amount of, of precious resources, time, money, human energy. Do you know it doesn't matter whether you go to hell as a prostitute or a policeman? It only matters that you're going to hell. All this effort to clean up America. Stop and think. The Bible says, can a leopard change his spots? Can an Ethiopian change his skin? Are you able to bring something other than who you truly are? It's just a waste of resources. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul writes, make the most of your time because the days are evil and understand what the will of the Lord is and don't be foolish. Well, what's the will of the Lord, you say? He's told us over and over, it's to preach the gospel, the message of reconciliation. That's the will of the Lord. And to do something other than that is just foolish. It's wasted time because God will not bless it. You know, I'm not interested in making this country moral. That doesn't interest me at all. Because I know that that's not going to invite the blessing of God. But I am interested in bringing people who are lost to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that he can recreate them, so that they will become moral. Thirdly, cultural morality sets up inevitable failure. And the reason it does that is because it's impossible to do. You can't do it. No one can truly be righteous and moral before God apart from the transformation of his soul by the Holy Spirit through the gospel message. The Bible says the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. See, if if God doesn't change someone's heart and recreate it, all you're doing is redirecting their sin. We think because they passed some proposition that, oh, well, then that's going to make this sin go away. No, it's not. And I'm all for, once again, going to the ballot box and, and, and voting biblically. But let's not take this too far. Cultural morality is programmed to failure. If some sins become illegal, then people will do other sins. And they'll do what they want. If, even if it's in secret, they'll do it. Because the, the heart is desperately wicked. Also, cultural morality fails to understand the nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John eighteen thirty six, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. What was Jesus saying? He was saying my kingdom has absolutely nothing to do with the politics here on earth. He's basically saying, I'm not gonna waste my time. This isn't what it's about. So to spend all of our time and energy and effort fighting for some element of human society, it misses the whole point. It fails to understand the true nature of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is the realm of salvation where God rules over and he blesses those who are in Christ. If you're serious about bringing blessing to this nation, then go out and preach the gospel. Because I guarantee you there's no connection between the national entity of the United States of America and the kingdom of God. Jesus said it as clearly as he could, my kingdom is not of this world. They're two completely different realities. Why is it that somehow we've gotten the idea that we have to posture America politically for the advancement of? of the kingdom of God. They have absolutely no connection. We've even heard people say, if America keeps going this way, if it keeps, and sin gets more and more accepted in our society, it gets more and more corrupt, boy, you know, it's gonna cripple the impact of the gospel. It's gonna cause evangelism to be hard to do, if not illegal. We have to fight for all these freedoms in order for us to be able to preach the gospel. Let me tell you this morning, there is nothing that can be done, has been done, will be done on the face of the earth by men politically or socially that has any impact whatsoever on the purposes of god in redemption none that should be an encouragement to us.
0: well thank you for spending time with us here today on graceful truth the ministry of grace bible church here in redwood city it's our prayer here at graceful truth that god would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week and we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650 9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. GracefulTruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.